running away. Jesus told this story about a boy who ran away. Once upon a time, there was a boy and his dad. Now, one day the boy gets to thinking, maybe if I didn't have my dad around telling me what is good for me all the time, I'd be happier. He's spoiling my fun, he thinks. Does my dad really want me to be happy? Does my dad really love me? The son never thought of that before, but suddenly he doesn't know any more. So the son goes to his father and says, Dad, I'm better off without you. I can look after myself. Just give me my share of your money. His father's sad, but he won't force his boy to stay, so he gives his son what he wants. The son takes the money and goes on a long, long journey to a far-off country. And everything's wonderful and perfect for a while. He can go wherever he wants, do whatever he wants, be whoever he wants. He is the boss. He is free. Sometimes he gets a strange, hungry, homesick feeling inside his heart. But then he just eats more, or drinks more, or buys more clothes, or goes to more parties until it goes away. But soon his money runs out, and so do his friends. He ends up getting the only job he can find, feeding pigs. One day he is so hungry and so desperate, he even tries some piggy food. What am I doing? he says suddenly, as if he has woken from a nightmare. He spits, yuck, all of it, ick, out of his mouth. My father's rich and here I am, in a pigsty, eating piggy food. He wipes his mouth and dusts himself off. I'm going home. As he starts for home, though, he begins to worry. Oh, Dad won't love me anymore. I've been too bad. He won't want me for his son anymore. So he practices his I'm sorry speech. All this time, what he doesn't know is that day after day his dad had been standing on his porch, straining his eyes, looking into the distance, waiting for his son to come home. He just can't stop loving him. He longs for the sound of his boy's voice. He can't be happy until he gets him back. The son is still a long way off, but his dad sees him coming. What will the dad do? Fold his arms and frown? Shout, That'll teach you! And... Just you wait, young man. No, that's not how this story goes. The dad leaps off the porch, races down the hill, through the gap, in the hedge, up the road. Before his son can even begin his I'm sorry speech, his dad runs to him, throws his arms around him and can't stop kissing him. <laughs> Let's have a party, his dad shouts. My boy's home. He ran away. I lost him. But now I have him back. Jesus told them, God is like the dad who couldn't stop loving his boy. And people are like the son who said, Does my dad really want me to be happy? Jesus told people this story to show them what God is like and to show people what they are like. So they could know, however far they ran, However well they hid, however lost they were, it wouldn't matter because God's children could never run too far 
or be too lost for God to find them. And good morning to uh, those of you online. We're sorry that you can't be with us, but we're glad you can worship with us electronically and appreciate the people behind the scenes who make that possible. We also welcome those of you in F3, um, secret handshake, keep it to yourselves, nanu, nanu. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to Luke 15, to this well-known story this well-known story of the, the heart of the Father. And, uh, and to set the stage, it's, I want to read the first two verses uh, because they set the stage for why Jesus tells the story. In Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, we read, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So the context of this whole story Jesus is going to tell is the fact that there are people finding fault with Jesus for associating with people who are not welcome. And I want to introduce you to somebody. I want to introduce you to somebody who had a little bit different experience, but it, it reminds me of it. And this little person happens to be Diane's and, and my uh, first grandchild, Sadie. And uh, some of you knew her mom and dad growing up in this church, Hannah Avery and Andrew Morrison. And this is a picture of Sadie on her first day of school uh, last fall, uh, preschool. She's four years old in that picture. And um, the reason I show her, besides the fact that I love to open my phone and show pictures of my grandkids whenever I get a chance at any excuse, is more has to do with this passage. And that is that um, we, got a, we got a text from Hannah sometime back uh, telling us a story of Sadie at school. She wrote, this happened this past Thursday and it made me tear up a bit. At the end of the school day, Sadie's preschool teacher came to me and said, I wanted to let you know how sweet Sadie was today to a new girl in our class. She was so welcoming and complimentary of her. She told her she was beautiful. You can tell that such things come naturally to her. Then another teacher said yes, and also the kids were making up verses to a song, and Sadie's verse was about how she sees the Lord in people. It was so sweet. She's sensitive, and she really has a gift. That night at dinner, I told Andrew what her teachers had said. He told Sadie he was just proud of her for being kind and welcoming to the new girl, and she said, well, Carter and Ryland said that Ava, the new girl, was a really weird name. I, you know how four-year-olds can do that. Uh, I started to feel a little nervous for her that she wouldn't feel welcome and have a good first day. I remembered how I felt on my first day of school when I was new. I wanted her to have a good first day and feel welcome in our class. So I told her she was beautiful and that I really liked her name. Hannah wrote, I then remembered how sad I had felt because Sadie had to start school several weeks after it had begun because of our move and because of Reed's birth. 
I remembered feeling sad that she would be a new girl in preschool a few weeks after it started. I knew it wasn't a big deal and that kids adjust quickly, but I still felt bummed for her. But now, as I think about this situation that happened on Thursday, it's probably why the Lord wanted us to wait so that she would have empathy for Ava. And this simple little story uh, to me is like a picture of the, the different ways the heart of God is made available for us to pass on to others. Jesus is sort of rebuked, if you will. He's found fault with for eating with sinners, um, for receiving them. But he wants to let us know that God's heart for the lost, which includes the disenfranchised or those left out by society, maybe even for four-year-olds, those with weird names, um, or anything else objectionable, but most of all sinners, that God has this heart that welcomes and includes sinners. Um, Jesus manages, before he tells us the story we just heard, to tell two other stories to also illustrate his point. The first one that we remember is about the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one wandered off and when that one wandered off he left the 99 to go find the one that was lost and rather than hitting it with a stick and driving it home and kicking it the way I guess I would be tempted uh, he picks it up and carries it back to the others uh, or the woman who loses a coin in her home and she turns everything upside down to find that one coin. And, and in both instances, Jesus tells us that not only was the lost sheep or the lost coin found, but that there was a celebration afterwards. And he does that, just as he does in the story of the prodigal, the well-known story, to remind us that God is not only a loving God, but a celebrating God. And um, I think he does this really, uh, I, in, in my reading, I think he does this because I think at some level any one of us can be one of three audiences. And I, I want to see if you see that with me as we read through the story. Because I think if it's true, God has a message uh, to three audiences. And in my life, I think I've played all th three roles and um, I want to see what, what you think about that, see if that may be the case for you too. Let's look a little bit more closely at the story we just saw. First of all, uh, verses 11 and 12, reading from the New American Standard. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, please give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. Now, We've all heard what a terrible thing this is to do um, over the years, anytime we've heard this story. And the reason is that it's not a bad thing for a father to divide an estate. In fact, sometimes he would do it while he was living, but usually only if, only if he was no longer capable of running the estate. And he would say, look, I'm Physically, I just can't do this anymore. I'm going to turn my money over and let you guys run it. But that is not happening in this story. Instead, this is like the son basically saying, you're as if you're dead to me. So could I have my money now? 
so it's a, it's a remarkably rude and uh, unthinkable thing. And um, his regard for his father is so low. And if you were the father in that, you would be rightly hurt and rightly angered. There's a certain amount of unrighteousness in that to say nothing of, um, of just the sorrow that this son's self-centeredness would uh, disregard his own, his own dad. Um, he goes on, we, we read in verse 13 and 14, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Very brief statement, amazingly how fast Jesus tells this part of the story. Like the fool in Proverbs, this young man has disregarded any wisdom his father has ever cultivated in him. Uh, I'm sure his father has given him counsel about about life and about responsibility and about work. Um, And his father has managed to save uh, an estate uh, that this son would have gotten one-third of. That would have been the tradition. The oldest son would have gotten two-thirds and the younger would have gotten one-third. But this son manages in short order to uh, squander everything his dad has saved in a lifetime, the one-third of everything he saved in a lifetime. The passage says there um, that he went off to a distant country, went on a journey to a distant country. And the words that are used there have a uh, the, the emphasis on them is the distance. And um, I think, as I read it, that I don't, I don't think the primary thing is the, is the geographic distance so much as the, how far away this son is from what he's been raised for. How, how far this son is from everything he had been prepared for. And... Um, if you have ever been a parent who has had a prodigal, that's the thing that you feel most acutely is the distance. They could be in the same community as you, but whenever you see them or whenever you hear from them, you just recognize this great distance has been created and we haven't moved. And this daughter or this son is living so far away from everything that we prepared her for everything we prepared him for. And that's the heartbreak to the loving heart of a parent. And the temptation sometimes, having been in this place a little bit myself, uh, once upon a time, I I realized that one of the temptations in that place is to harden your heart. Uh, You can be tempted to uh, not want to feel the pain of the rejection or the foolishness or, or the pain of what the child goes through. And you can harden your heart. Uh, the other temptation for a parent can be, I'm, I want to rescue them. I want to keep them from hurting themselves. Uh, one of the things about God that I so appreciate, and we even see it in this story, is that he doesn't fall into either of those. He doesn't harden his heart, as we'll see in the Father's response shortly, but he also doesn't go out and, and bring him something in his need as we see this story develop. Uh, and, and I think that's good because at a, at a level 
what, we, what has to be recognized by parents of prodigals is that they have made a choice and they need to fulfill that choice and find out what's going to happen, but the parent is not holding it so personally that it's about them. They're more grieved for them because they love them. And that's the, the heart of the father that we see here. Uh, it says in the passage that he, um, he squandered his money with loose living. And um, squandered, uh, the, the, the word that's used that we translate squandered really has to do with uh, scattering. It's the exact opposite of the word used immediately before when it says that he gathered he gathered everything together, meaning everything his father had given him. He gathered it all together, and then he turned around and squandered it. And it really would be like saying he collected it, and he immediately dispersed it. He got rid of it as fast as he had gained it. Um, I don't know if you had heard this story, but I had to look it back up because I couldn't remember the guy's name. But when I was rereading this familiar passage and and re-familiarizing myself with the idea of what it was like to lose quickly what had been gained over time, this squandering. Um, I remembered a story of, a, of a, a guy from Great Britain. I had to look it up, but his name, you may have heard of him, his name was James Howells. And James Howells was an uh, internet technology worker in Great Britain. And he got in on Bitcoin in the very early days, uh, mining it on his computers. And, and he learned to mine back, oh, back in about 2007, 2008, he began collecting Bitcoin. And for those of you who don't know what that means, keep it that way. It's, it's really to your best interest to just not even, just ignore what I just got through saying. But he managed to collect through his mining over the next five to six years, 7,000 Bitcoin. And so um, he had 7,000 Bitcoin on his computer. And again, those of you who don't know what that means, um, you're none the worse for wear. But he eventually had to replace his computer, and, and so he threw his computer out. Was smart enough as an IT worker to save his hard drive to put into the new computer. Unfortunately, before he had installed his new hard drive into his computer, he managed to throw the hard drive out in the trash, which went into the city dump, where it still remains to this day, nine years later, um, having last fall been worth about $375 million. Over a third of a billion dollars is sitting on a little piece of metal somewhere in a dump in England. So if you want to go on a treasure hunt, be my guest. But this young man didn't throw out his father's money. This young man, it says, uh, he, he dissolved the money through what was called loose living. And, and um, that loose living that he speaks of, um, one commentator said it is incurable self-destruction and dissipation. Dissipation means to scatter and spread thin until it vanishes. Um, there's, there's the idea of carelessness in it. Uh, there's the idea of senselessness in it. 
But what's interesting is Jesus has a main point in the story. His main point is not to camp on the foolishness of the young man. His main point is not to say, let's tell in the goriest details we can all of his stupidity. That's not his point. And that's very apparent by the way he tells the story because Jesus manages to tell what he did, take the money and lose it. He manages to tell it in about a verse or a verse and a half. Jesus tells a long story not because he wants to camp out and focus on how stupid he was which can be one of our temptations when we're encountering somebody who's living prodigally, uh, is that, that we want to make sure they feel bad enough, if you will. Instead, Jesus gets to his main point. Look at verses 14 through 16 with me. Now, when he had spent, every, spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of the country and sent him into, who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. When he had spent everything. Um, one of Jesus' point is, as you get away, in this case, you get away from your parents, and you go live the way you want, or you get away from structure and accountability and you live the way you want, it doesn't take long and it's gone. And the, the, Jesus' main point is to show that, that the story is about the fact that God in his kindness allowed this young man to come to nothing. Um, and he came to nothing so that he would get to need. This is interesting. It says that he, he began to be in need. That is, he's unable to feed himself. He, he attaches himself. He becomes an indentured servant to somebody and says, look, I'll work for you. Just provide me a place to lie down and maybe something to eat. Um, well, we already know what a a terrible job this was feeding pigs, let alone for a Jew. For a Jew to be feeding the very animals that they're supposed to stay away from. Uh, he couldn't have had a meal with the Jewish family. He couldn't have gone to worship. He couldn't have done anything that he had been raised to recognize uh, um, to, from being around these pigs without having been cleansed. And, and yet, um, he gets to this point where he was so hungry he would have eaten, even eaten the pig food. And really, even to call it pig food is actually not accurate. One of the things I learned in reading about this that I didn't know is that these carob pods that they're referring to are not even normally fed to any animal. They're, they're trash. It's a trash vegetation with a real leathery skin, and there's virtually no nutrient to it. And the only time that they would ever give it to any livestock is if everything else was gone and then they might give it to an animal like a pig. And here he is, even so far down that he would eat that. But what is interesting to me, right before we get to the turn in the story, is this, that last phrase where, where it says in verse um, 16, it says, um, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods the swine were eating, but no one was giving to him. 
In other words, when people leave to go party, when they go, le- when they go leave to um, live wildly, like a prodigal does, they do it in some way because they're looking for some sort of social life, some connection other than home. They're looking for something exciting. They're looking for something, relationship is always part of it. Partying is always part of it. Immorality is typically part of it. But what typically is, is, is central to it is, I want to be around people who make life fun. Well, what's very interesting about this story is that this young man who has gone to a far country not only has nothing left, but he has no one. No one to even give him something to eat. And I love what Jesus does because he's so quick with the story. The very next verse tells us what the whole story has been coming down to. It's verse 17 where we read, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough to, uh, more than enough bread but I am dying here with hunger. That phrase, when he came to his senses, is really a picture of of repentance. It's coming to himself. Um, I I love that idea because to me, it makes me think of times in my life, uh, certainly when I came to Christ, um, I was as far off from God as I had ever been. I had been raised in a church I'd been raised with a lot of biblical teaching. I I didn't understand the gospel, but I knew a lot of other things. But I was just so far off from God, and I knew it. And when God reached out to me in his kindness, when he grabbed hold of me on the path, um, I, I remember the first time understanding, reading and understanding the gospel that it was by grace that you were saved through faith, that it was Christ had already completed all that was necessary for a person to have life with him forever. It really was like coming to myself in the sense, not that I knew it before, but it felt like coming home. And when it says that this young man came to himself, that's what it means. Uh, And this is one of the, one of the, I said that I think there are three audiences for this kind of tale. One of the audiences is people who are far off from God. And God says, I want you to come to your senses. I want you to come to yourself. Um, And what it really means is when he discloses to us our sin and he discloses to us his grace, It's like a wake-up. It's like we wake up and say, I want life. I want life. I want to quit walking away and running away into foolishness. And that is certainly the heart of the story, that when a person is far off from God and they come to their senses, if you will, the, the turn that takes place is because they realize, I was empty and lost. I can be filled and found. You know, part of how we know that this young man really does repent is what he says when he anticipates meeting his father. He says, um, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. 
I'm unworthy to be regarded as your son. Please make me as your hired man. That was his practiced speech, which I think is right on the money. He recognizes his sin is always first against God. But invariably, there's also sin against others. And I think as parents sometimes, when we see our kids in this place, um, one of the things we have to do is give them room to see their sin. Sometimes we want to drive home the point so much we oughtn't be doing that. If we're trying to drive home the point of their guilt, maybe they just haven't come to the point of seeing it yet. Um, nor should we see it as so personal that, that we think really what you've fundamentally done is sinned against me because yes, there is some sin against you, but by comparison, it's as if it's only towards God. We read in verse 20, he got up and he came to his father, and while still a long way off, his father saw him and felt, felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, which he is right about. But the father said to his slaves, because this is what God is like, not only does he forgive, he receives to the point of a party. Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and been found and they began to become merry. I think we see here the second character of the story. It's the father. And the first thing that we're supposed to see clearly is that this is the heart of God. Jesus has made this plain. Remember how the story started. The, 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 uh, the scribes and Pharisees were fault-finding with Jesus because he was receiving sinners and eating with them. And Jesus is saying it's just like God. God's like the Father in this story. He's someone who receives gladly. Uh, if you're a person who has never known him, who has lived your own life far off from him, one of the things he invites is for you to come to your senses and recognizing, recognize that, that life apart from him is death. It's not just the fact that it ends in death, that there is a hell that people spend eternity in when their sins are not forgiven. It's even a living death right now. And Jesus is letting us know that, his fa that, that he and his father are receptive like this father was, that there is a sense of gladness of giving grace to this lost sinner. And I think there's also a mention or a thought for those of us who become parents in this situation. Um, it's kind of an aside, but if you do see somebody in your family who has drifted off, I think if you go rescue them, I think you'll have to do it again and again because they haven't come to the end of themselves. And conversely, if you stay at a distance when they come home, um, you're, you're not reflecting the heart of God. God gives us this not only so that we as sinners can recognize what he makes available to us, but also I think there's that little, though it's not the point of the parable, there's the extra little message for us parents. I need to make this not personal. I need to make this about my receiving her back gladly. 
because I love her and I'm glad she's come to her senses. This reminds me of Romans 2 verse 4 that says, do you not know that the kindness of God leads us to repentance? Because this repentance, this, this change of direction that we see in this young man, it, it was brought on in part by his, the kindness of his father. He knew his father's character and he knew his father would somehow be willing to be kind to him. Um, and that was part of what prompted his repentance. And, and um, I think in this story, we can talk about how kind God is, but we would not have the story if it were not for the repentance. Um, so I, I think in this, in this parable of the prodigal, those, both of those roles are terribly important. The, the prodigal is one role, somebody who comes to the end of themselves and repents. They come to them, their senses. The Holy Spirit convicts them and they receive the conviction. But then there's the father, the one who receives, the one who welcomes, the one who pardons. But now we're going to see the third character in the story. Now his older son was in the field, verse 25 says, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing and summoned one of his servants and began inquiring what these things might be. He, the servant, said, your brother has come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he, being the brother, became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you. Excuse me. For so many years I've been, I've been serving you. And I'm looking for my passage because it jumped. <laughs> um, and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a, even a kid that I might be married with my friends. But when this son of yours comes who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. Uh, by the way, there's almost always an older brother. I don't mean literal older brother. It could be a spouse or a parent or a friend. But in Jesus' telling of the story of the prodigal, he includes someone in the story to remind the Pharisees of themselves. You remember how the story began? The Pharisees were faulting him for eating with sinners. And Jesus in his kindness not only tells of the heart of the father, he not only tells of the repentant son, but he tells those of us who have played the role of the older brother or the Pharisee, do, do you see yourself in this story? Uh, because it started with the tax collectors and sinners coming to him and the Pharisees and scribes grumbling, saying he receives sinners and eats with them. That is the older brother. Um, the father is eating with the repentant younger brother. And that is what the Pharisees are finding fault with. Like the older brother, the non-prodigals see their devotion to that which is right, that which is good. They have little patience for people who throw away resources and live like the devil. Like the older brother, they don't see their own need and they are not moved by grace. Instead, these uh, 
prodigals see their need for grace, but these non-prodigals don't recognize their need. And the father's response to the older brother is also gracious. He says in verse 31, my child, you have always been with me. All that is mine is yours. Um, But we had to be merry and rejoice for this son of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost. He has now been found. I think one of the interesting things about the story is that we don't get to see the older brother and his response. That's left open. We don't know how the older brother responds. We know how the father responds. We know how the very sinful prodigal responds. But there's a, an opening at the end of the story, if you will, where the older brother might recognize his need. And so that's why I say I think three audiences in this story that are important for every one of us. If if we have been that prodigal, or if we are even right now, God is looking on the horizon and saying, I'm waiting for you. And he invites us to come to our senses. He's telling those of us parents in that kind of position or those of us who have a family member whom we see living foolishly, we can't rescue them, but we can sure love them and pray for them. We can still be a testimony of the righteousness of God and the kindness of God and recognize it's not about us. Recognize that to take it personally is is to misunderstand this whole spiritual battle in their life. And if we're an older brother, if we're we do a pretty good job of judging people who fall, judging people who are foolish. We need to recognize, apart from God's mercy to us, we had no hope. I'm not saying there's not a place for justice. There is. As a matter of fact, for anyone, for the prodigal who doesn't repent if he had continued on his way, or for the older brother if he doesn't ever see his need, There certainly is justice. God is a just judge, and he's going to bring justice in the long run. But I believe God's heart, at least from this passage, is letting us know that, like he says in 2 Peter 3, and like he says in Ezekiel 34, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. What he would rather see is that they recognize their need and that they turn to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you are a redeeming God. Thank you that you're a God who gives us hope and that you want us to have a heart for people who are disenfranchised by their sin, disenfranchised by um, being not recognized or welcomed by society. Uh, But you have a heart for them because you really want people to come to know you. I pray, Father, that for us as a body that we would be one of those receiving places not somebody who takes a casual view of sin, but somebody who takes a a church that takes such a high view of redemption, such a high view of your rescue, that we're all too ready to forgive. We're all too ready to receive. I just pray, Father, that you continue to manifest yourself in our midst, continue to teach us uh, your heart in these matters. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.